So every family has uh, distinctives, right? Every, every biological family or, or blended family, everybody who has a family, there's distinctives that make that family unique in the world. Uh, like my, my family growing up, my parents and my sister, uh, we're musical people, okay? I did French horn, my sister and I were both in show choir and musical theater, my mom's a professional pianist, my dad, well, he would always sing in his sermons, you know he, he likes to sing. So we, we're a musical family. Uh, also, our family tends to just find ourselves in leadership, doesn't matter what it is, it could be a, a group project at school or a church, like it doesn't matter, we always end up kind of leading and we have a, a phrase that we used to joke about about saying that at the Rod household, if I ain't leading, it ain't worth doing. That's how we used to, we used to joke. And then of course we would also uh, go back and change the grammar of that because grammar is a distinctive of our family that we want it to be really good and yeah. Anyway, so distinctives. Uh, my wife's family is different. My wife's family, their distinctive in my opinion is that they like to linger, okay? They are lingerers. And what I mean by that is they don't need to have any reason for being together and there's really never any sort of countdown clock to when their time together needs to end. They will just, as long as they're in the same physical space, they will just linger together and be together for, for hours and hours. And I've come to really love that, uh, but it's a distinctive of their family. So what's a distinctive of your family? Uh, are you a tidy family or a messy family? Are you all really punctual? Uh, are you, maybe, maybe you're the kind of family that every generation all seems to have the same exact kind of dog. That seems to be like the very same like breed of dog. I don't know, I've seen that before. What is your family's distinctive? Now I ask this because the reality is there, you know, every family has distinctives and the family that we are all a part of is the family of God. And that family has distinctives as well. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. This is the last week of our series, Never Alone. And we're, we're talking about how to heal the broken place of isolation in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So far, we've looked at four key ingredients in healing isolation, which we'll come back to in a little bit. And today we're looking at the final one, the fifth one, family what it means to be a part of the family of God and how we, as part of that family, can live into those distinctives. All right, so to do that, we're gonna look at one of my all-time favorite parables of Jesus, the parable of the lost son, aka the parable of the prodigal son, as you may have heard it. So grab a Bible, we're gonna look at Luke 15. Now this parable is my favorite, probably because, well, first of all, Jesus was a master storyteller. And every single time that I read this <clears throat> parable or preach about this parable or think about this parable, there's always some, some new detail or some new angle or some new perspective. It just, it seems to always bear fruit every time I go back to it. And today's no exception. Now, in October, I gotta just take a minute to tell you, I mean, I'm geeking out about this. I always geek out about sermon series. But in October, we are going to do an entire sermon series all about the parables of Jesus. It's gonna be one of our BYOB series, Bring Your Own Bible. We're gonna go deep into how to read the parables of Jesus, how to understand them, how to interpret them. It's gonna be good, okay? So get excited about that. Um, okay, so this parable is uh, set up in verse one of, of chapter 15 where Luke basically says that Jesus was hanging out with a bunch of sinners, Okay, a bunch of disreputable people, not, not so uh, pleasant necessarily, these people that were pretty bad. And the religious leaders of Israel were not happy about this. They're like, Jesus, you're doing it wrong. You gotta keep these people at arm's length. You gotta keep them isolated out there. But Jesus disagreed. 
And so he tells some stories to try to illustrate his perspective on why he's hanging out with these these sinful people. So let's read what he says. Uh, Verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his, into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Okay, so there's two sons, and the younger of these two sons, he finds himself isolated, right? He finds himself alone, far from home, doesn't know anybody in this place, and he's in pretty tough straits. And it doesn't help the fact that uh, when he left home, he basically told his dad, I wish you were dead because I want your money, right? That's not a great way to build family ties. So at this point in the story, He's basically hit rock bottom. And you want to know how I can tell it's rock bottom? Because he's feeding pigs. Now, there's nothing wrong with pigs. I love pigs. Uh, I think pigs are smart. They're very social creatures. Liv and I will probably have pigs on our farm someday. I love pigs. The reason why that's rock bottom for him, though, is that presumably in, in, you know, Jesus's hearers, presumably this young man was Jewish. And if you know anything about the Old Testament law, you know that... uh, pigs were considered spiritually unclean. Do you remember last week when I talked about the man with leprosy? I talked about how leprosy made you spiritually unclean. And if you touched someone who had uh, leprosy, you became spiritually unclean. Well, the same thing is at work with pigs. Uh, Making matters worse, this young man, he's not just hanging out with pigs, he's working for someone who owns pigs, which means that the person he was working for was probably a Gentile. And Gentiles, according to the law, were also unclean. So it's like one unclean thing on top of another. But beyond all that, it says uh, it says that this young man was actually uh, looking to eat the food that the pigs were eating. So it's almost as if uh, as if he's becoming an unclean creature himself, right? So it's painting the picture here that he is completely cut off from his own people. He's totally isolated. He's in this spiritually unclean environment, totally alone. So the question that I want us to think about for just a moment is, how did he get here? What was it that led him to be so isolated? Now, I I know that it's pretty obvious to us in the U.S. that the answer comes in verse 13. We say, well, it's his own fault, right? He wasted all of his money in wild living. That's what the story says. That's what we notice. But here's something interesting. When I was in seminary, I came across an article that talked about the fact that um, there's this theologian guy, he went around the world asking different people why this young man was so isolated. What, what, what led him to be in that place? And what he found is that not everybody agreed that it was because of this wild living, this wasteful living. Listen, listen, to, listen to this. Um, again, in the US, people generally agreed, okay, yep, he wasn't wise with his money. But when this theologian went to Russia and he asked them, why was this young man alone? Here's what they said. They pointed to verse 14. And they said, oh, well, because a great famine swept over the land. 
He was alone because of, he was isolated because of events beyond his control. Isn't that interesting? But, but then this theologian, he went to East Africa and he began talking to, to Christians there about this story. And he asked them, why was this young man uh, isolated? What happened? And here's what they said. They, they looked at this. Now, some of them did mention the money and some mentioned the famine, but the majority of those people in East Africa pointed to verse 16. They said, well, he was isolated because no one gave him anything. From their perspective, this young man was alone because he found himself living in this crazy, selfish country where nobody looked out for their neighbor when they hit hard times. They couldn't fathom that. They were blown away that anybody would live in a place like that. That was why he was alone. Isn't that fascinating? I think that's so interesting. And again, have I mentioned how important it is to read and study scripture with different cultural perspectives? This is what I'm talking about. I think it brings so many things to light. Okay. So here's why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this not because we're trying to find the right answer, as if there is a right answer. I don't even know that there is. Why I'm telling you this is because this young man was alone, and there are a lot of different reasons why people find themselves alone. This story speaks to that. Some of us, we find ourselves isolated because we're selfish. We're selfish people. We, we've wasted what we had on wild living, so to speak. Right? You know that. If it's not you, you've seen it with other people. People who are so selfish that you're, you're walking around trampling all over everyone else's needs, looking out for number one. You do that long enough, eventually number one becomes the only one because nobody else wants to be around you. That, that's a way that your own selfishness can lead you into isolation. Maybe that's why you're isolated, your own actions. Or, or perhaps, just like the famine in this story, maybe you're isolated through no fault of your own. I know a lot of people who, when COVID happened, they had to go and, and stay in their homes for their own health. They have health issues that they can't be out in public. And even though they want to be in community, they are forced to be alone. So maybe in situations like that, maybe you're finding yourself isolated through no fault of your own. You want to be with others, but you just can't be. Or perhaps uh, you're isolated because of the actions or the inaction of others. Nobody gave this younger son anything to eat, right? No wonder he was starving. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in an abusive relationship or maybe a classmate has humiliated you and cut you off from community. Maybe you would love to be in community but nobody seems to be willing or open to invite you into their lives. Maybe it's not your selfishness, but the selfishness of others that's forced you to be alone. All that to say, there are a lot of different reasons that we find ourselves isolated, far from home like this younger son, in the metaphorical pig pen. So what do we do? How do we respond when we're isolated, when we're alone? Well, let's see what the story, what happens in the story. Let's see, let's uh, continue where we left off. So uh, he's in the pig pens, no one gives him anything. <clears throat> and then in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. 
Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. I love that moment in the story. It's beautiful, right? This, this son who's fully expecting to be rejected by his father is suddenly swept up into a big bear hug. My favorite little detail is this whole little speech that the son has prepared, right? My father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and, you know, take me on as a hired servant. He's got this whole speech ready to go. I can imagine him. It doesn't say this, but I imagine him, uh, you know, walking these long miles home, just rehearsing this as he goes, just trying to make sure he's going to get it right. My father, I have sinned against heaven and and against you, right? He's got this whole thing prepared. But then what happens? What happens? The moment that his father sees him, he runs to him. He he embraces him. I imagine the son being a little taken off guard. He's he's like, "Uh, this wasn't what I planned on. Uh, But he goes ahead with the speech anyway. My father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you. But it doesn't even, the father doesn't even let him finish. He had this whole line prepared about, you know, take me on as your hired servant. But the father doesn't even let him go there. He just says, quick, we're having a party. We are gonna celebrate because my son is home. And this is cool. If you think about all the topics that we've talked about in this series, about how to heal isolation, the Father does them all. He does them all. For example, dignity, right? We talked about that in week one. He sees his son, and it says he is filled with love and compassion in verse 20. He doesn't see a shameful loser in his son. He doesn't see a disappointment. He sees his son. That's all he sees. Or proximity. this father runs to his son. He embraces him. I mean, despite the fact that this kid was was working in a pig pen and he had walked for miles in the dusty roads, I mean, he probably smelled to high heaven. The father closes the gap and he gets close. Or hospitality. The, the, The father throws this son a feast. The fattened calf, this is an expensive luxury for very special occasions. And yet the father immediately welcomes his son in. He opens wide his life to let his son take from what he has, from his abundance. Even unity. Remember I talked about the fact that when this son left home, he basically said that he wished his father was dead, right? That's like a really shameful, shameful thing to do in an honor-based society like this. And yet, look what the father calls him in verse 24. He says, this son of mine, this son of mine, The divisions that the son had created, they fall away in the father's love. Isn't that cool? The father heals his son's isolation in every possible way. And here's why. Because they are family. Family. That's the the final ingredient that brings all these other concepts together. It's one thing to have compassion on on an isolated stranger. It is an entirely different thing to have compassion when that person is your own flesh and blood, isn't it? Family. Now, it's it's not hard to see in this story that in in many ways this father represents God and how God uh, thinks about and responds to his children, right? That's what this story represents. 
Every one of us who follows Jesus, we are a part of the family of God, sons and daughters of the King, we are. And thanks to Jesus, everybody in the world now has an invitation to join that family as well. It is a wide open invitation. Now, earlier I mentioned that every family has distinctives. Well, this right here is the distinctive of God's family. It's grace, grace. All are welcome here, no matter who you are or or what you've done or the mistakes of your past. God's grace covers it all and you are welcome. You belong here. And as the sons and daughters of this graceful father, we have a responsibility to act towards our world the way that he does. We are called to treat the lost and the isolated in our world as our father does, with grace. That's what we're called to do and be. It's the distinctive of this family. Of course, sometimes that's a little bit easier said than done. And the story, as we'll see, is not over yet. So let's see how the story ends. Let's keep reading in verse 25. So the party began, and meanwhile, meanwhile, the older son was out in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Well, the older brother was angry. And he wouldn't go in. His father came out and he begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you. And I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. That's how the story ends. So, think about this older son. Despite the fact that the father's love and grace is a distinctive of his family, This older son is not happy at all about this younger son being welcomed home. Interesting, in in verse 30, the older son accuses his brother of, quote, squandering his father's money on prostitutes, right? Which, by the way, that's normally what I was always taught was going on, that that this son, when he was off in the foreign land, he was just an evil guy, he was a bad guy doing a ton of immoral stuff. That's how I was always taught. And what I've come to find out, though, is that that's based on what the older son says. If you look at, um, oh, it, the word that's usually translated in older translations is dissolute living. Dissolute, meaning indifferent to moral restraints. That's how we've always been, you know, that's how I was taught about this son. But when you look at verse 13, where it says that he wasted all his money in wild living, the Greek word there is asotos, asotos, which this is the only place in the entire Bible where it shows up. When you have a, a word like that, it, it's a little bit hard to you know, always get the, the translation exactly right to the original culture. Well, scholars have worked on this word and they've started looking at other sources from the ancient world. And today they say, generally speaking, that the word would probably have a better sense of uh, recklessness, uh, reckless living. Uh, he, was, he was not necessarily immoral, 
He was being reckless. He was just being bad with the money. He was wasting the money, unwise living. If that's true, and I, I tend to think that it is, if that's true, then the older brother's accusation here about prostitutes, about immorality, it's just slander. He's just slinging mud, right, to, to put his younger brother down. Besides, according to the narrative, the older brother just now found out that the younger son was home. So how was he supposed to know what the younger son got up to while he was away? I think he's throwing mud. The younger son, the, the, the lost son, he's isolated and he's alone, right? He's, he's given dignity and hospitality by his father. His father chooses proximity and unity with him despite his past choices. Because that is the distinctiveness of this family. The father's love and grace, it defines this family. It defines who they are. But this older brother wants nothing to do with it. He's standing in the way of his brother's isolation being healed. He doesn't even call him his brother. Look at, look at what he says in verse 30. He calls him this son of yours. This son of yours. It's not my brother, it's your son. If this is a family that's defined by love and by grace, then in this moment, look what's happening. The older brother is becoming a lost son as well. Suddenly, he's the one who's becoming isolated. Here's why I'm telling you this. As we talk about isolation, look, we are living in an insanely divided time, aren't we? From politics to race to culture wars to classism, we don't just disagree with one another, we hate each other, even in the church. Now look, we all love the idea of being like the Father, right? We, we love the idea of welcoming isolated people into our lives. Dignity, yes. Hospitality, of course, right? Until we learn about their political views. Or until we learn about their take on the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Or learn what they believe about evolution or guns or vaccines or homosexuality or capitalism. Both sides, we, we, we see what the other person thinks and we think, oh, um, I don't know, I don't know. Suddenly we're not the father in this story, we become the older brother. That person, now that I know what they think, they don't, they don't deserve to be in community with me. I don't want to be associated with them. I know they're isolated, but they made their choice. They should stay in the pig pen. Both sides of the spectrum do this, guys. Now, I know that's a bit extreme, what I just said. It, it feels extreme, doesn't it? We're not that bad, are we? Guys, we are living in extreme times. And I'm seeing this happen within the very walls of this church, on both sides of the spectrum. We are divided just as they were in ancient Israel. Remember, the whole reason Jesus tells this parable is because the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with those sinners over there. And I am pretty positive the feeling was mutual. There's a reason that Jesus doesn't end this story with the younger son coming home. That would be a nice, tidy little story of God's grace. No. The way that Jesus ends this story is with the older son out in the cold, implored by his father to, to come home, join the party, but left with a choice. Am I gonna join in the healing of my brother's isolation or am I gonna walk away? 
Am I gonna, gonna let my own isolation grow? That's the choice that we see with this older brother. That is how the story ends. We don't know what he decides. And here's why I think that is. Because it's our choice as well. We have the same choice to make when we encounter people in our lives. Until we are willing to set aside our indignation, until we're willing to give up our right to be right, until we experience the unity that Marin talked about a couple of weeks ago, until we experience that in the church, well, we are not going to become the irresistible movement of love that can heal our isolated world. We just won't. But if we do, if we do, if we start to see one another with dignity, regardless of what side of the spectrum we're on, if we, if we open our lives to one another with hospitality, as Tim described a few weeks ago, if we pursue proximity with those that the world has said are untouchable, or if we, like the older brother, could, if we were to choose unity and enter into the celebration of our Father's love, then guess what? Isolation doesn't stand a chance. Because in Jesus, we are family. A family that's defined by grace. And every one of us belongs in our Father's house. Now, like I said, this parable, it's got a lot of depth to it, right? There are so many things that we could talk about and, and dig into and meditate on in this passage. But today, as we're thinking about isolation, I think it's a really valuable uh, exercise for us to do, to think about what does this say to us now, in our time, in our place. Whether we're isolated ourselves, or whether the people around us are isolated, or you know what, it's 2020, it's not a both and, is it? It's either or. Sorry, it's not an either or, it's a both and is what I meant to say. We're, both, we're isolated and so are our neighbors. So let's take a moment and just meditate on this story just a little bit longer. Here's what I wanna do. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And as I do, I wanna invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. All right, so let me pray for us and then we'll, and then we'll do this, okay? Let's pray, Father God. We want to be your children. We want to be defined by grace, but it's hard. And so, Father, I pray that in these moments together that your Holy Spirit would speak, and I pray that we would listen. I pray that we would pay attention to what you are saying. So, Father, speak. We are listening. I pray this in Jesus' name. So go ahead and keep your eyes closed, please. The Holy Spirit is with you right now. Pay attention to his voice as we put you in this story. Let's take a moment and answer these questions, okay? In what way are you like the younger son? How have you left your father's house? How are you isolated right now? Now imagine that you've worked up the courage to return home. You're walking down that long dusty road when your father sees you. 
And your father God runs to you and wraps his arms around you and he holds you close and he speaks words of truth and grace into your ear. What is he saying? In what way are you like the older son? Who in your heart have you excluded from the family of grace? Now imagine the father is beckoning you to come back to the celebration. What would it take for you to join the party. Now imagine that you're the father. Who in your life, what isolated person do you see coming up the road? You run to them, you embrace them, and you speak into their ear, what do you say? What does it mean for you to bring them home?